0: That's a pen, method.
1: Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old-school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 86 of Shut Up and Wrestle, in which I will be joined by noted wrestling humorist and longtime 605 Super Podcast guest, Mr. Scott Cornish. That is on the way, and it's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of laughs and a very different conversation from what you might be used to on this show. But before we get to that, there's actually several things that I want to address this week on the show, if you will just bear with me. First and foremost, as we do here, I would like to make mention of and acknowledge the recent passing of somebody from the world of old school professional wrestling, one of many. I'm talking about Brett Sawyer. He was the younger brother of Buzz Sawyer, brought into the business by Buzz, and he was very successful on the territorial circuit back in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Wrestled in a variety of places and won many titles across the country, most notably probably in the Pacific Northwest, but as well as other places such as Georgia Championship Wrestling. And I wanted to make a mention of Brett and note his passing and This week, the thoughts and prayers of many an old-school wrestling fan are with the family and friends of Brett Sawyer. I also want to talk about something that is very close to me, and it may not have exactly everything to do with old-school wrestling, so I hope you will forgive me. But as someone who formerly worked within the WWE corporate structure It has been quite something seeing what has been going on in the wake of the merger and acquisition of WWE by Endeavor Group Holdings, which has recently unfolded uh, last week or rather earlier this week as I record this. For those of you that may not have been following it, in the wake of this acquisition and the merger with UFC, there are inevitably widespread corporate cuts That are happening. There are a lot of redundancies within the corporate structure. When you have UFC and WWE together, you don't need two human resources departments. You don't need two payroll departments, two travel departments, things like that. So there are a lot of people, unfortunately, real human beings, normal middle-class Americans that are going to be losing their jobs if they haven't already this week. And that is a subject which strikes very close to home with me, I worked at WWE between 2000 and 2007, and I had to sit through some of these real nail biters where you'd come into work one day and you didn't know that day if you were going to be going home as an employee. I was there in 2001, I believe, or two, where we had what we called Black Friday, which was following the collapse of the XFL and the failure of the world, a.k.a. WWF New York, the restaurant in Times Square. There were $40 million in losses, and a lot of employees had to be cut, all in the space of one day. And we were given an announcement over the loudspeaker for everyone in the office to remain at their desks and not get up until the layoffs were complete. That's how bad it got, because they were trying to keep track of where everyone was, And the facilities guys were literally going around the building with hand trucks and empty boxes to escort people out the building. That's how bad it was on that day. And I want to point out, which I don't think I ever publicly have before, the efforts of my department head at that time, a man I've talked about on this show before, Mr. Barry Werner, he was our publisher. Barry really looked out for us on that day, and he deserves credit for that, because You know, the way these kind of corporate cuts happen is these department heads and VPs, they're given a number. They're not told by the people on top exactly who to fire. They're given a number. Look, here's $300,000. You have to trim this fat off your budget, cut out $300,000 worth of overhead and costs, and they're not told how to do it. And then they have to basically let go enough people to reach that number. And what Barry did was, instead of terminating half the department, as was happening in a lot of other places, he found basically the highest paid person in the department right underneath him, who was taking home a very significant six-figure salary and maybe not doing as much work hands-on as a lot of us were actually doing. He let him go, and in doing so, he reached almost 90% of his budget requirement that he had to cut, and he wound up saving nearly everyone else's jobs in the entire department. I believe there may have been one other photo assistant who was also let go at that time in order to meet the requirement. So what he did on that day was he protected us. He protected the jobs of the struggling middle-class working people in the department and I was always grateful to him for doing that. And unfortunately, that's not always what happens in a place like that. And it particularly rankles me this week to see that as WWE is talking about trying to save between 50 and $100 million in operating costs, that's what these cuts are supposedly about. In that same week, they give out nearly $30 million in bonuses to top executives that money which could have gone towards, I'm assuming, the alleviation of some of that cost cutting and maybe even saved a few jobs. But instead, it goes to those people who most certainly do not need it. And on top of everything else, the fact that it is Nick Khan, the president, and the man who received by far the largest corporate bonus, executive bonus, he's the one who has the audacity to send out the email, the all-staff email, letting those employees know of the massive cuts that are on the way. Just another heartless day in corporate America, but I believe it needs to be pointed out and addressed, again, as somebody who has been there and who knows that feeling. When you have a workday coming and you literally don't know if you're going to have a job anymore. Now, I know on the day of the cuts this time around, they told everybody to work from home, so that they can address them all individually and not have mass commotion in the office, as we did there over 20 years ago, back in the days before remote working in Zoom. So I do feel for those people. I am also not living in a fantasy land. I understand when you have mergers and acquisitions like this, people do lose their job. There is cutting that takes place. However, I can also acknowledge that there is a much more humane way to go about doing these sorts of things. And I can also acknowledge the kind of corporate hypocrisy that we have grown all too used to, I think, in America today. So if you'll forgive me, I'll step down from the soapbox today, but I have a little bit of skin in that game, a little bit of personal memories being triggered of those days. I was lucky to survive days like that. And I feel for those who will not be and people who will have to figure out a way to pay their mortgage, feed their families, pay their bills, and find another corporate job in this challenging economy. So thank you for putting up with my editorial. We'll get back to the fun stuff now. Particularly, I'd like to address the comments that were made that I was tickled pink to hear, that were made by Brian Last and Jim Cornett on the most recent edition of the Jim Cornette experience, in which Jim Cornette described me as, quote, the goddamn Edward R. Murrow of wrestling. Thank you, Jim. I will take that compliment, even though I think of myself more as a Dick Cavett than an Edward R. Murrow. I will take that compliment. Also, thanks to Brian for the kind words and compliments on my journalistic acumen within the world of pro wrestling media. I do appreciate it of course, for those that may not have heard the show, I recently pointed out on Twitter that WWE had the Honky Tonk Man's record for the longest Intercontinental title reign, the record that was recently broken by Gunther. They had the record wrong by one day. They were saying that Honky's record was 453 days, when in actuality it was 454 days, the reason being that WWE forgot that 1988 was a leap year. So there was one day in there that they didn't account for. So Gunther did break the record, but he broke it one day later than WWE claimed that he did. And I know on the show, on the experience, Jim kind of lost his mind wondering if the leap year discrepancy would throw off all the wrestling records that we know, like Bruno Sammartino's world title reign, which covered two leap years, Luthez's world title reign, which I believe may have even covered three leap years. And I am here to say that Jim Cornette and the other wrestling history sticklers like him can sleep soundly at night because those records are safe. You see, the mistake with Honky Tonk Man's reign was strictly WWE's error in that one instance, and I'm not the first person to point it out as years ago, Howard Finkel, who I worked closely with during my time in WWE, always made it a point to state that Honky Talk Man's record was 454 days due to the leap year. But somebody missed the memo in WWE and it happened. I can tell you that because I have researched this kind of arcane knowledge for other projects I've done in pro wrestling, my books and various articles and things that I've verified a lot of these day counts. Yes, that's what I do with my free time. And I've always incorporated the leap years. And I can tell you that, for example, I'll, I'll mention those two big ones the Bruno San Martino world title reign and the Lou world title reign of 1948 to 56. Those day counts are accurate. The ones that are out there in the public, they do include the leap year days. Again, it is just specifically the honky-tonk man where the mistake was made. So history is safe. Wrestling records are safe. I just wanted to point that out as a response to what was said on last week's experience. And if you didn't hear it, well, then never mind. It doesn't apply to you. But if you did, there you go. Now, the last thing I will say at the end of this very long-winded intro, and I apologize, is I want to give you a quick comment, a quick update on Irresistible Force, The Life and Times of Gorilla Monsoon, the book that I am now getting into the writing phase for. I'm finishing up the interview phase, but I made one major exception this week, and it was to talk to Valerie Morella, the daughter of Gorilla Monsoon who has been wonderful in the entire process of putting this book together, so helpful, and who in the last few days agreed finally, thank you, Val, to sit down with me and give me an official long-form interview talking to me about all her great memories of her dad, things that really only a daughter would know or a child would know about their parent. For example, did you know... That one of Gorilla Monsoon's favorite movies was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Well, now you do know that. Did you know that his favorite cigarette brand was cool? Well, now you know that. And you're going to know a lot of other great stuff, interesting stuff, details like that that I learned from Valerie. It's all going in the book, Irresistible Force. I'll keep you guys updated. Now I'm going to shut up about all this other stuff because I want to get to my conversation with Scott where we just went all over the place with this. Now, if you've listened to Scott on the 605, you know he's a very interesting guy and he's a very funny guy. And we talked about our wrestling fandoms. We talked about meeting pro wrestlers, what it's like being around that. But we also talked about bigger topics, like even just the very nature of celebrity, what it means to be famous, what it means to meet your idols and be around people that you look up to. We talked about a lot of issues and concepts like that. I found it to be a lot of fun, very edifying and very fascinating. And I'm glad that I had Mr. Cornish on the show. And I think that after you listen to this, you will be glad that I did as well. So I'm going to take you to it right now. Okay, so it is my pleasure here this week on Shut Up and Wrestle to bring to the show another member of what I like to call the 605 Super Podcast Extended Universe. Um, This is somebody that if you've been a listener, as I have and as I know a lot of my listeners have over the years of the great 605 Super Podcast from Brian Last, then you know this man. You have laughed at this man's jokes and this man's impersonations, which I promised him I will not pressure him to do. But he is, of course, the longtime lifelong wrestling super fan and wrestling humorist, Scott Cornish. Scott, thank you so much for finally coming to Shut Up and Wrestle.
0: Thank you, Brian. I got here as soon as I could.
1: (laughs) Yeah, as soon as you could. It it took about a year and a half, but I guess that's my fault. (laughs) Of course, it's your fault. Yeah. (laughs) Just thank you for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. I I was just going to say, when I started doing this show... As I've told people, for me it was like uh, you know I'm I'm a sort of a lazy person. So so my my part of part of the appeals of the show to me was one of the appeals was I know so many people, uh, interesting people, interesting fans, interesting people in the business or around the business that I felt like you know these are the, these are people that I can very easily ask without having to cold call and introduce myself and 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 you know and and they'll probably say yes. And I had a, I made a really long list of people, and you were on the list. But the problem is, it's a really long list. So in a lot of yeah. cases, it takes <laughs> me a lot of time. That's why people have been saying to me, how come you're how come not repeating guests? And I'd love to have so-and-so back. And I keep going, well, there's still people I haven't gotten to yet before I start repeating.
0: Oh, I was so glad that you had Mike Edison on. I've been pitching him as a 605 guest for quite some time. And uh,
1: yeah,
0: he did not disappoint.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I warned people to play it at at, uh, at half speed. And, you know, Brian wanted, uh, <laughs> Brian, I know, had wanted to get him on there on the 605. And of course, you know, in, in the past couple of years, the 605 has slowed down a little bit in their output. So, you know, yeah. I told him he, he asked me to hold off on Mike and then I finally had him. And I said to Brian, look, I gave you a year. I gave you a year if you wanted to get him on. (laughs) I waited a year before I asked him. And then I finally did. Mike is such an interesting guy. What I love about him is, you know, I look at who he's friends with and his mutual friends online and things like that. And it's so weird to me. It just speaks to the kind of guy he is. He is friends with so many different people that I know from other things that i do you know that 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 i know that i didn't even know that he knew you know it's amazing and you're one of those people but it's amazing to me oh yeah he knows a lot
0: of he he definitely knows a lot of people like that another one that i that i sort of know but i haven't been in touch with in years is uh are you familiar with johnny legend
1: oh yes yes
0: Johnny Legend from the West Coast, I call him the, uh, well, he's known as the Rockabilly Rasputin. He's got a big, long, bushy beard. And he's like, he is like the, the weird rock and roll zelig. He's been everywhere and involved in everything and just a total renaissance guy in that uh, he's been into lucha, into uh, uh, promoting weird uh, indie wrestling. Uh, he wrote the song pencil neck geek. I'm completely fascinated by, by him and his career path. He was involved with Andy Kaufman. Uh, he's managed porno theater. You know, he, he's done it all. And, uh, now he, he's a little bit elusive. I think he's a little, uh, elusive and reclusive these days, but, uh, living well and still out there on the West coast somewhere, I think in Oregon, but, uh, you can track him down. He's another one that I think is, uh, Yeah, and he'll wear you out talking like uh, like Edison
1: does. (laughs) (laughs) Mike sort of a
0: lot of uh, of coffee going on there when you talk.
1: (laughs) When I talk to Mike, it's like as the conversation goes on, he gets more and more animated and starts talking faster and faster. The longer you talk to him, (laughs) you know, you'd think it would go in in reverse, you know. One time
0: I talked to Johnny Legend (laughs) at. the ECW arena the time I first met him at the ECW arena we spent most of the evening hanging out and talking and uh at the show and he said this has been a really weird year for me and I went that's you saying that (laughs) (laughs) I can't even imagine what a normal year is like for those guys let alone a weird year for them but um yeah, I'm, I met, I was standing outside the ECW arena and he's instantly recognizable if you know him uh, because he's just got this long hair and long, long bushy beard and skinny as a rail. And this van pulls up. Van, turns out the van was being driven by uh, Georgian Macropolis. I'm outside the ECW arena. Everybody's already gone inside. And uh, I'm standing out there and I've got a gym bag with me because I'm meeting a friend there that I'm going to stay with. And, uh, boom, Johnny pulls up out of, out, falls out of the van and it's just me and him outside in front of the ECW arena talking about this and that. And, uh, he sees my bag and he says, are you working tonight? <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just laughed and I said, only in your world would that be a possibility <laughs> that, that I would be working a show. But, uh, yeah, it didn't seem unusual at all to him. And one last thing about that first night that I met him in Philadelphia, he knew everybody that was on that show. He knew Sabu and, and uh, Conan and different people like that. So later, uh, again, if people look up his picture, they'll understand because he has this big, long, ZZ Top style beard and hair. And We go back to the famous uh, Cylinder of Sin, the uh, travel yeah. lodge right. uh, where everybody gathered and stayed and cut promos and stuff. And all the fans went after an ECW, Oh, a real, excuse my language shithole. And, um, and I'm standing there talking to Johnny and this kid comes up and Johnny is somewhat known amongst certain circles. Yeah. You know? And this kid comes up and he's marking out. He's going, wow, I I, I can't believe you're, you're here. Are you going to work in ECW? And, and Johnny is kind of going, well, well, nobody's asked me, but uh, I would love to, you know, and the kid is giving him this and that. gives, oh, you're the greatest! I never thought I'd meet you. And uh, and um, Johnny's going, well, thank you very much. And he's walking away. The kid goes, thanks very much, Mister Valiant. <laughs> <laughs> he thought it was Boogie Woogie Man. <laughs> didn't That's have the great. heart to tell.
1: Uh, <laughs> it, I would have loved to have seen the Boogie Woogie Man in ECW. I think that would have worked really nicely.
0: Yeah, me too. I used to do a. Uh, uh, and, but i guess i might still a- end up doing it but i used to do an impression of uh, uh my bad impression of jimmy valiant on it, the, it was the not Levi bad it was no, not thanks. bad i'm just going to tell you <laughs> but, i'm going to
1: interject and tell you that it was it was terrific oh,
0: thank you. it was it, it is rough on the voice but um <laughs> uh so i would do that and uh years ago uh the fabulous artist travis heckle uh who does all the artwork for the uh the Cornette podcast and the 605 for years. He tracked down Jimmy. I met Jimmy Valiant at a few shows and out at Cauliflower Alley before I was ever doing an impression of him. And uh, he tracked down Valiant at some signing somewhere and he got he gave the the short version of me doing impressions of him. All of a sudden, here's Valiant cutting a half, you know, like a 30 second promo on me. (laughs) porn dog somebody told me you think you're the boogeyman. there's only one baby <laughs> oh my god did Who would he ever know imagined?
1: was he already what? aware that you were doing that
0: No, i he, i'm sure he doesn't even remember now you know just, <laughs> so, mom My my friend does an impression of you on a podcast and he was off to the races i was so flattered it was such a great a great thing but i I met him at a few shows and things like that. Never got my picture taken with him, but, um, but, uh, uh, he's a favorite of mine. He certainly is, you know, growing up in the Northeast, uh, I think I really started watching WWF television about the time that the Valiants were, he was still around. The Valiants were a little bit on their way out. He was definitely sort of on his way out, but, uh, yeah, I always loved those guys with Albano. Oh my gosh.
1: His look changed so drastically over the years. He's one of those guys where you go, "Oh my God, is that the same guy?" Like even before the um, yeah. the Valiant's team, when they brought him in as a single, when he was just handsome Jimmy Valiant. And I think in the very beginning, he was a baby face, and the he be, I think he became one of the thousand people who betrayed Chief Jay Strongbow at some point. <laughs> and and uh, poor Chief Jay, He just could not hold on to any friends. But but over the yeah. years, his look changed so much. Where I remember as a kid, um, you know, I knew, I'm a little younger than you, um, Scott. I knew of the Valiant Brothers. Most I, you people know, <laughs> are. I'd seen them in magazines and I was definitely aware, you know, at the time, I think they still had the record for the longest uh, tag team title reign, in WWF or something like that, or one of the longest. And then, you know, around that time, I'm getting an awareness of, uh, of, you know, C- Crockett NWA. And because that's sort of like the, at the time in the Northeast, it was like the cool alternative, you know, and I would find the videos or things and they would have Jimmy Valiant down there. And, you know, and we all know that was the classic boogie woogie man. And I'm going, that's not the same guy. How is that the same guy? I don't understand. <laughs> is that somebody else playing the part? Did they just give the gimmick to somebody else? And, you know, years later, come you know, when I got a little older, come to realize, yep, that's the same guy. Amazing. Yeah.
0: Did you ever encounter him? Have you met him?
1: Um. Okay. So I had yeah. I've never, <laughs> I, I've never met him. Well, I guess I could say this, whatever. He's not going to hear this or what. Well, I never have met him in person. The only interaction I ever had with him was that I reached out for the Gorilla Monsoon book. Um, I wanted to ah. talk to him because I know, and I guess in the end, I didn't even really need to talk to him because he's done, uh, I think he did like um, some type of shoot interview. I forget which one it was, or one of High Spots or something. And he had these wonderful stories actually about Gorilla Monsoon, about how kind he was to him when he came into the territory and how I think he stayed at his house and all this kind of thing. And so I wanted to talk to him, but unfortunately, he was one of those people that wouldn't talk without being paid and that's just not the policy of ECW Press so right. it's kept me from yep. a few interviews that I've wanted to do for both books and you know that's the reason why I, I couldn't talk to him for this book but that's it that's the only interaction I've ever had
0: oh okay so you've never uh you never encountered him at his at his gimmick table
1: no i haven't no not even at any kind of signings or events <laughs> or things no no why <laughs> just because he
0: is so Pleasant and so nice, but he is going to make you buy something
1: for yes. sure.
0: <laughs> there's no, there's no avoiding it. You know, it just you know, I remember at Cauliflower Alley, all he had were these computer, uh, computer paper. You know, not even glossy, photo paper or anything. You know, these just computer, uh, you know, Xeroxes of him with John Cena. You know, I just thought, hey brother, I, I got nice pictures of me with John Cena. And I'm looking at him, going, "That thing's going to get torn apart." by before I leave the room, you know, <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, "Ah, no, thanks." I said, ah, "Maybe I'll maybe come around again tomorrow." Well, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> and,
1: <laughs> Why not? Where are you going?
0: Yeah, and it never turns bad. He's he's unfailingly nice and polite. And I, oh, yes, again, I tre- I treasure that video that somebody did. But uh, that uh, my my friend did get. Uh, a t-shirt for me and a, and a CD, uh, that he, that he put together a compilation CD of some of his records and some records that I'm sure he probably didn't actually license, you know, <laughs> to, make up, to make up this CD. And, uh, uh, my friend said he was set up at his gimmick table before, you know, let's say it was in the Carolinas somewhere or some gym in Virginia or something at this little indie show. He was all set up and ready to sell before the boys were there. You know, you, you know, <laughs> not even the fans. I mean, because the, the 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 first uh the first line is 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 selling to the boys. You know, they all walk in. Oh, look, it's Jimmy Valiant. You know, right? he will sell shit to them, and then they let the fans in. You know, the only the only thing that that compares to it, and he doesn't even talk to you, was the great classic uh bluegrass banjo player uh dr ralph stanley i'm a fan of bluegrass music and i saw dr ralph stanley a number of times lucky enough to have seen him he was one of the men who invented bluegrass music and he was fantastic but he was very quiet and very stoic but i've it, it's an old it's an old not just an old wrestling thing it's an old country music thing he worked his gimmick table constantly every moment that he wasn't on stage. You'd walk in, he'd be sitting there, unavoidable. You know, it's Ralph Stanley, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and if you bought something, he would he would greet you and he would sign it. He wasn't very talkative. I saw him once in uh, Troy, New York, played a beautiful theater in Troy after a, a little brother where art kind of gave him a resurgence. Right, And he was sit at his table when I walked in. Uh, I took my seat and uh, two minutes later, he walked onto the stage and played. And then they took an intermission. And when I went out in the lobby, he was already back out at his table. And uh, repeat the same way for the second half of the show. And as I left, he was still sitting at his table. you're not going to get past him and or some of these uh as we say crafty wily veterans (laughs) without without buying something right i remember tony atlas at the 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 pro wrestling hall of fame one year when it was back in amsterdam or you know and tony works his table very funny very entertaining engaging guy but he works his table very hard too you see walking by Hey, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm doing great, Johnny. And he goes, "Oh, where you going? You ain't got a picture of me and Snooker yet. You know, <laughs> I, I ain't getting one either. You know, <laughs> but I, but um, he's another one, absolute classic.
1: <laughs> no, I was just gonna say that's one of the reasons why you know I'm I'm very selective about where I will go to sign books and things because. You know, I, I'm, I'm not that way. I'm not, you know, I'm not a worker. I'm just, I'm just some schlubber wrote a couple of books and I'm looking around, you know, at some of these, some of these guys are so good at it and they're so animated and, you know, they have a name of notoriety, especially for people that go to those events that I I don't stand a chance, you know, (laughs) and and I'm going, I'll look and I'll see, well, who's going to be there? What kind of an event is this? And if it's the kind of thing where I just go, oh my God, nobody's going to give me a second look at this thing, you know, I won't go. Because, uh, you know, some of these people, like you said, they're just so they're so good at it. And it's it's like it's almost like a whole other dimension of working, being able to to do that and sell yourself in that way. And I understand, even though
0: you and I don't do that, I understand that uh, now more than I used to. Uh, for example, people make fun of Virgil and talk about Virgil all the time. And he is quite carny, you know, at these things. Uh, but he's not, he's not, he's not even as gung ho or determined, you know, as, as some others, however, people see him and then they want to go up and talk to him, you know, because they know he's a character and they remember him from wrestling. And all this. If you're going to sit there and bend his ear for five minutes, just buy something. Don't be cheap, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, you know? And people think that, oh, he's just there to meet his fans. He doesn't really want to earn a living, you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. He's just hanging out at this event. Yeah.
0: just Lucky you. Yeah, But he's another one of those people
1: that you can't look at him without spending money. You know, it's like you won't even. I remember when I was covering, I was in college. I I don't. I don't look. (laughs) (laughs) But I was in. Oh, right. Because if you look, man, if you make eye contact, forget it. But I was in college covering like local indie shows in Brooklyn for this volunteer neighborhood newspaper. You know, no one's getting paid. And, you know, I'm taking photos myself with black and white film, the whole thing. And he was on one of them. And when I would do these things, a lot of times it was really just, it would help out the the, the promotion or it would help out the the church or whatever that was hosting it, you know, to get their name in the paper. It really was it was all kind of fluff, and the wrestlers would give me a little soundbite here and there, a little quote, you know, was you know some kind of in character quote. And even for something like that, I remember I'm like 20 years old. Virgil wanted me to pay him, and I'm just, yeah. I, I just need you to give me like a sentence or two to go in the neighborhood newspaper. You know, this isn't Vanity Fair or something, but but he's you know, one of those people. It's like every, you know, he's got to be figuring out an angle every minute of every day
0: yeah yeah the first time i sort of encountered that i was a little unprepared because i saw a particular wrestler legendary wrestler apparently given you know free pictures and autographs and stuff to all these women then i saw him giving free pictures and autographs to a bunch of japanese fans and i said oh, i guess you can just go up and ask for, you know <laughs> so i went up and asked you know and he just looked and then all of a sudden he wasn't nice anymore. He was like, That's $10, brother. You know? <laughs> and I was a little, not that it wasn't worth it, but I was a little taken aback, to get, you know, because well, you know, now I understand. I said, yeah, he, he wasn't there to, to meet and greet me. Jeez, I hope Scott Cornish walks in. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because next to women and Japanese fans, yeah, that's who I wanna. That's who I wanna give free shit to. <laughs> you know? So now, now I'm certainly at an age where I do like getting pictures with, with people. If I if I really am a big big fan, I think I've met just about everybody that's alive that I wanted to, one way or another. Not that I'm jaded or anything like that. And it's not like it never happens. I would like to meet Bob Backlund and I will pay whatever the going rate is to get my picture taken with him, you know, and just be in his, be in his orbit for a little while. And I think that's about it. I've been very lucky to meet a bunch of absolute legends. And sometimes, you know, I had to pay and some, and most of the time I did not, you know, and if you can have casual conversation, it isn't just about this match or that match, you know, that's the best, and if I can get a picture, that then I then I'm happy with that. You know, the only one I ever regretted taking a picture of was Jimmy Snuka. Oh boy, um, because I went into a to a a convention, and I haven't been to many, very few, except I go to the Wrestling Hall of Fame in Amsterdam now in Albany, and I do go to the convention. I go to one back when it was in Amsterdam, and there sits Jimmy Snuka, and he's got a floral robe on, and he's old, looks older but very peaceful. He's got a nice warm smile, and I knew exactly what I believed he had done. Um, I'm certain of it, you know.
1: Yes, I am and too. Still, unfortunately, yeah.
0: And yet, still, I said, "Oh, it's Jimmy Snuka," and I talked to him for a few minutes. And by the way, in casual conversation. Not at all hard to understand. <laughs> I'm not saying he put on that 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 you know voice, you know, or that that speech pattern, you know. But um but yeah, for the brief time that I talked to him, he was very nice. He took a picture and I've shown the picture to people and I've posted the picture. And it was only in benefit of, of hindsight hindsight years later where I went, what the hell did I do that? You know, now you think you think twice about it you know um and it and i'm not as proud of it i shouldn't have i shouldn't have, you know i shouldn't have done that you know and that's on me i saw him i was kind of like charmed for a few seconds you know and he signed a nice program for me he was very sweet and that was that you know and that's on me but again I, i'll take that if i was wrong to get my picture taken with Snooka, now I think it was wrong. If I had it to do over, I wouldn't do it. But then again, I never murdered anybody.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I have a couple of pictures with him. And from once from yeah. when I w- worked with uh, WWE and he was at one of the shows. And, you know, I made an exception to my rule when I worked there of not taking pictures with talent. I just said, screw it. But I will say yeah. um, I didn't fully have an appreciation or understanding of the whole incident with him until i really started researching it for one of my books pro wrestling faq and yeah. i have there's a chapter in there about you know wrestling scandals i was doing that before dark side of the ring okay i set the standard but um but I, I i i dug deep into that to the point where i was really like you said able to say to myself yes um i am soundly convinced that this is what happened right uh, absolutely oh, yeah. convinced but, but, uh, that was after you know that was, but I do have those pictures now, and I go like, Oh, Christ, you know, I want to like turn it to the wall, you know you know what I mean, right, yeah, yeah i
0: I don't share that picture anymore, I still have it, but I mean, uh, you know who came up to Utica one time and did a meet and greet and a and a film presentation was Henry Hill, oh, the mob, the actual mobster, get you know. A, you know, former monster that Goodfellas was based on. So right. you know, after he was no longer, you know, after he was out of witness protection and had been on Howard Stern and things like that, they did a they did a show at a, at a theater, and uh, showed Goodfellas, and um, and and you know, he introduced it, and then of did, of course, did you know, uh, did you know, pictures and autographs. And <laughs> And I'm almost at the thing because I love Goodfellas so much, you know, (laughs) and I'm going, what the hell kind of a thing is this? You know, (laughs) I'm not going to get my picture taken with him. He's not Joe Pesci that I'm meeting, you know.
1: (laughs) Right. It's (laughs) not Ray Liotta. Liotta. Right. Well, the same thing happened. And it's funny. It's it's another Scorsese thing. But a few years ago, I knew somebody that was going to um, somebody that was in the stock market or some business related thing, and and they were going to some type of a work uh, conference or something related to the industry, and they were having there a seminar. It was more than a seminar. It was like a full on celebrity meet and greet with the guy that the Wolf of Wall Street is based on. So the actual Wolf of Wall Street. And I'm going yeah, like, the, yeah, like, like the son of a bitch, like the brazenness of horrible. You, you are you are human garbage and people right. are lining up to, like they're meeting Leonardo DiCaprio or something. You know, you know what <laughs> I mean? It's it's it is a really bizarre thing. It's It's like having a serial killers convention or something, you know.
0: Oh, yeah, that's where I mean, that stuff is fascinating. I, I can understand the interest that it has. Like, I I have a friend that I met recently in New York and I was and he has a couple of uh, 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 rock bands that he loves. And I said, I guarantee he's either wearing a uh, he's either wearing an Iron Maiden shirt or he's going to be wearing, uh, you know, some other some other rock stars t-shirt, you know. And uh, he shows up wearing a a, a t-shirt that's got that post office sketch of the Unabomber on it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and I and and he'll he'll he'll. Actually, I think he said the Zodiac killer was his favorite mass oh, murderer. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't the... have. I, that's okay. I don't have one. You know? <laughs> <laughs> favorite mass murderer. I, I don't have one. Yeah, but <laughs> the... um, but and then some people take it even further. again you see what that is? What's that? Oh, that's a, that's a spoonful of dirt from Ed Gein's yard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, check please.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff always freaked me out because I'm also a big horror movie person and I've written a lot about horror films and I used to have a, a website called the vault of horror, which was, you know, in the early days of blogging, it was, it was pretty successful. And so I encountered a lot of people in that world too, when I was taking a break from wrestling and it always would I have to say it honestly would disturb me when you get people that would fetishize the serial killers and treat them or look at them almost as if they were horror movie characters like Jason, you know, Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger or Norman Bates. And I'm going, you know, this is not the same thing. And, and I'm and almost like they would idolize them. And I, the thought that always popped into my head about it, because this is how my mind works is Can you imagine being let's say you're a family member of one of the people that one of these guys killed and you're out and about and some guys wearing a goddamn T-shirt with his with the face of the man who killed your mother or something on it. I mean, you know, you have to I mean, a little perspective, you know, there's nothing cool about those guys. You know, they're deranged (laughs) lunatics. And they're not worthy of yeah. any kind of admiration or idolization. It really, really would bother me a lot.
0: Yeah. I only went to one horror movie, fantasy type convention once. It was up here locally at a local casino. And it was pretty well set up. And now I almost regret it because he was, so, he was such a great actor and such a character. I got to see him do a and a which was fun. But the line to meet Sid Haig was too long. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not going to stand in a line for an hour and a half just to get a picture with Sid Haig. But uh, now that he's gone, I wish I had. But, um, but that that day, the, the two people that I met, and one of them I walked off without even paying, and she didn't say anything. <laughs> and I went back, and, and I went, oh, my God, I forgot to pay her. And that was a uh, PJ souls, the actress that was in oh, uh, yes. rock and roll.
1: I've and met her scary. at chiller theater, at chiller theater in New Jersey. I've met her there at the big convention. There.
0: Absolute sweetheart. Absolute yes. sweetheart. And, and, uh, she was really nice to meet. And at that same convention, sometimes they'll have an odd wrestler or two and no big surprise. Greg, the hammer Valentine was there, you know, <laughs> yes. he had no, no, no relationship to the topic at hand. You know, the, Fid Hague or, or any anything involving fantasy films or anything but he was there and I've heard people say that he can be ornery or or quiet or anything like that but boy you go up to him at one of these things and he hasn't got a line he was super you know we had a nice you know he's not over the top but uh but we had a nice conversation he, I was wearing a 605 shirt and he asked about that and we're talking about this and that. The funniest thing about meeting Greg the Hammer Valentine was directly across from him at the convention was a booth where the actor Fred the Hammer Williamson was
1: sitting. <laughs> oh, the the ultimate did, photo op.
0: Yeah, I yeah he wasn't at his table at
1: the time, but it was like, how did they how did they book the two hammers to have their booths right across from each other? <laughs> That's great. You know, I, I I know what you mean about Valentine. You know, he has that prickly uh, reputation and I've definitely seen yeah. it and I've definitely dealt with it. I actually had a, a situation <laughs> with him once where I think I made him feel bad because he was another one like Virgil, where one of my earliest experiences was kind of negative at one of these local indie shows where, you know, he just didn't want yeah. to. He was just miserable, just absolutely miserable. And then years later, I, I encountered him at another signing, but it was way later. I was I was I was an adult. I I had worked for WWE. <laughs> I had I had been around the business for a while. I wasn't in it anymore. But I, but I ran into him and I'm trying to, you know, have a conversation with him. And I think I had my kid with me and I was like kind of trying to put him over to my kid like, hey, this is, you know, one of the greatest of all time. And he and he kind of started getting ornery again. And I I don't know where I got this sense of uh, I I basically was just like, Jesus Christ. Like, I really I I don't want to say I let him have it, but I was almost just sort of like, you know what? You've been doing this to me since I was 20 years old. Like, are you kidding me? Like, why? Why do you have to be so mean? I really did say something like that. Like, come on, man. You know, like I've worked, you know, I've sat in a limo with Vince McMahon and he was nicer to me than this. And and uh, I and I actually broke him up to the point where he felt bad and he started chatting and he was apologetic. And uh, I think it's almost just like for some of these guys, it's like a default kind of state that they're yeah. in just to deal with yeah. the kind of people that I'm sure they encounter on a daily basis. You just have to, like, close off a part of yourself. And, but once you uh, can break through that, you see the human being, you know?
0: Yeah. The guy, the the wrestler I was telling you about earlier, where, where I didn't quite understand, you know, that he was there to make, you know, I didn't fully understand he was just there to make money. He was so blatant. What I didn't understand was he was really nice. And I even met him on an elevator, very nice and all this. But when it was, you know, when it was involving money, you know, he wasn't nice. I said, Can't you be nice? You know? when you're signing, you know, <laughs> right. I, I, I never fully understand, uh, you know, I hesitate to mention his name, but it's Abdullah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Please. Another one, another one. Can't look at him <laughs> without paying him. I, I wanted to talk to him but, for the Sheikh book and that was an impossibility. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, and, and, and he's a he, uh, great favorite of mine, maybe not the nicest guy in the world, but an absolute icon, you know, and have it, have it, had it having a chance to do it over again, which I probably won't. I would, you know, I'd pay to have my picture taken with it because I would like that. But, um, uh, but beyond that, Oh, I wanted to tell you one really funny story about Valentine and, and his sense of humor. I don't know if I've told this on the air before, but one time we went to a local, uh, toy store at an Albany mall, my friend Nick and I went and, uh, They had three people there. They had some people signing in the morning. I think the Brooklyn Brawler. And then at one o'clock, they were going to have Evan Sullivan, Greg the Hammer Valentine, and uh, Andrew Anderson, an independent wrestler that seems to be at every convention. And he's good friends with Sullivan and Valentine. yes. Yes. And generally drives them i think and and gets them to to appearances and signings so the three of them are waiting to sign and they're sitting on a couch and the funniest thing is we walk in and there's a huge long line of people to meet them but nobody is walking up to them at the couch to talk to them uh it's like oh we don't want to lose our place in line or that's not how it's done or i don't know what it was you know And there was too many people. This was right around time that the pandemic was still going on. And I was like, same thing. It was like, oh, I I can't stand in a line. I've already met Sullivan (laughs) and and Valentine. You know, I can't stand in this this long line. But before that happened, I saw the funniest damn thing. Valentine gets up for a while and goes away. And I just happened to be walking by. He comes back to the couch where where Sullivan and Anderson are sitting. And he says, uh, the promoter uh, doesn't want us sitting out here. He wants us to sit in the back until they're ready for us to sign. Um, uh, And he says that Sullivan and Anderson stand up. And he says to Andrew Anderson, no, not you. (laughs) (laughs)
1: you you can stay out here you don't have to go in. yeah
0: oh i was dying i said that is perfect
1: that's a guy every day
0: I i thought that is funny but the there's i've met a couple of people at that particular toy store and i don't know if they do them anymore or it's just that i've met the people i wanted to meet but um The one I tell you, boy, if you get a chance to meet Ken Patera, that guy is a live wire. Uh, He is so funny and so entertaining.
1: I don't know if you heard the interview that I did with him for the show, but that was a situation. Okay, well, that was not even supposed to be an episode. That was that's how funny and good he was, where I I was talking to him for the book for Gorilla. You know, I'm like, okay, you're the guy that retired Gorilla Monsoon. Let's talk about that Philadelphia spectrum and all that And about 10 minutes in, I'm going, God, this is too good. I can't just put this away Ah. in in my computer and have nobody hear it. This is hilarious. This is one of the best interviews I've ever done. And I stopped and I said to him, Ken, listen, I know I mentioned to you that maybe we could do a podcast down the road. Would you mind if I actually used this audio as an episode? And he goes, you know, Oh, that's fine. Just as long as you it's, if you let me like mention my book at the end, you know, That's and I said, sure, no problem. He said, yeah, go for it. I don't care. Why the hell not? You know, he was absolute gold. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was really
0: funny that day too. Um, he was signing with Tony Gurria who again, I've heard had a prickly reputation. and was very nice, but Patera was just hilarious, you know? And, uh, uh, I had a lineup sheet from the first wrestling show I ever went to. And it was almost, it, I think we were one day off. It was 40 years to the day uh, of 1980, seeing uh, seeing uh, Ken Patera wrestle. Uh, who did he wrestle that night? Um, I don't think it was Gurria, but Gurria was on the card too. Oh no, it was. It was intercontinental title match uh Ken Patera versus Tony Guerrilla in Utica the first show I ever went to 40 years later almost to the day I met both of them at a signing and I had them sign that lineup sheet and they were looking at it like oh my gosh they get a and uh look at this is that's 40 years ago Patera's looking at it again yeah and look who my opponent is Tony Garneria <laughs> Tony Tony's only heard that joke three thousand times. I'm, <laughs> sure. Like, oh. I'm sure. But uh, yeah, at one point uh uh he says uh, a fan asks him a question about Vince McMahon. And he says, Oh, you know something? And he looks over for a second, he goes, Tony, do you still work for them? And Tony goes, No. He goes, Oh, okay. Fuck Vince McMahon. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's great that, yeah that's that, the kind yeah. of stuff he was doing and i'm just going wow he's just he just really doesn't care he's just going to say whatever pops into his head basically yeah yeah and the
0: time i've heard him be interviewed by you and uh he did break in and kayfabe and a couple others um and uh and even the conversation i had with him amazing to me amazing recall for those days you know some yes. people don't remember.
1: Dates oh, and know. places and, and yeah, for, uh, he's for not, some it's like a, a not fog. That way. Yeah, no, for some yeah. of them it's just all it's all a fog. But he, he is—he's very sharp and he he remembers details and um, you know, he's again. People were saying when I did that, they were like, "Oh, you know, I've never heard Ken Patera in an interview where he seemed so." I mean, yeah, he was ornery and 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 you know, kind of obscene in some of the things he was saying, but just. Uh, so personable, and and he seemed so down to earth, and he seemed to yeah. you know actually like you when he was talking to you, and and I'm yeah, going right. yeah you you just have to like I said before you have to focus on the human being talk to them. Look, I've been talking to wrestlers you know for decades. You've got I mean you know what I mean. You've got to just talk to them as a human being, get them outside of get through the veneer of the of you know their their kind of yeah. self preservation and just treat them as a human and, and, and most importantly, make them feel like they are definitely the more important participant of the conversation. And if you do that, yeah, they'll open up to you and they'll be nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I don't mean it in a bad way, but my friend Nick said to me once, he says, I can't talk to these guys the way you do. He says, you're, you're so casual, you know, when you meet these guys and you talk to them and stuff like that, you're able to, have a conversation and I said and I didn't mean it in a bad way I said it's because I'm not really impressed
1: <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> sometimes I, they were that a,
0: yeah there were cool people that I was not in awe that I was in awe of m- meeting them I'm not ashamed to say at all uh, uh but most people again yeah normal conversation, you know a normal conversation you just take take you know I'm at um certainly hadn't met them before a couple of years ago at that Hall of Fame, I'm at the Rock and Roll
1: Express,
0: you know, and Ricky is hilarious. And, but, I, you know, and he was, you know, very much on and, but I had a fun conversation with him. And, uh, and Robert surprised me with how funny he was. Oh, he yes. was funny too, you know, and, uh, you know, and just talking to them, they cut a promo for Cornette's birthday. That was very funny. And, you know, it was just all very loose. You know, you don't have to really, uh, uh, gush over these guys or idolize them or something. And you have a good, I showed an old picture to, uh, Ronnie Garvin. It's him wrestling, um, Mongolian stomper from an old Smoky mountain wrestling program. And both of them are an absolute bloody mess. It's like a chain match. They're both bleeding all over the place. And, uh, yeah, Ronnie is the farthest thing from impressed or, you know, but he is looking at the photo and it's triggering old memories and things like that. he's looking at it. He, I think he even showed it to somebody else and just very quietly,
1: he says, yeah, I never got even with him for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. I think that was, that was actually the weekend I met you. That was the first um, international yeah. Pro wrestling hall of fame weekend in Albany. Cause I remember when you mentioned the, the uh, cornet's birthday thing. I remember when they were doing that. And um, yeah. I, I talked to them too. And they were they were very nice. As a matter of fact, I think it was either at that or it might have been CAC. Uh, Robert Gibson just basically he just stopped everything he was doing. And he just started showing me card tricks. Like he just, he had a deck of cards, he had a deck of cards with him and he's just going here, look at this. I'm going to show you how I do this. And he's just showing me all these card tricks, you know, the the most kind of unlikely thing. And, and I remember they were great. Ronnie Garvin uh, was great. I talked to him that first hall of fame weekend. And all I wanted to talk to him about was miss Atlanta lively. Like that just, that, (laughs) that, that popped him because I had to. I just brought it up and he told me, I I don't know, you've probably heard the story. There's a story about how when he was doing that gimmick where for people that don't know where he was basically pretending to be a woman, but it was the most obvious thing (laughs) in the world. It was like the machines, you know, where he's it's, it's Ronnie Garvin in drag. You know, he looks like a linebacker, except he's got a wig on and, you know, kind of fake boobs inside a sweater and all this. And he told yeah. me the story about how when he was in the locker room and he was still in Gimmick, um, basically people were coming over to him because the barbarian had apparently like taken an interest not knowing. And the barbarian oh. ah. was saying something like, hey, uh, who's, who's the new girl over there? And they actually kept it going ah. when Garvin found ah. out. He kept it going. He didn't want to tell him. He just sort of oh, kept stringing funny. him along and then finally kind of lifted the wig or whatever and said, hey, Barbie, it's me. It's, it's Ronnie. You know, <laughs> <laughs> And he lost it. That's
0: funny. I love hearing other wrestlers refer to Barbarian simply as Barb. Yes. Bar- <laughs> he, called
1: him, he called him Barbie. That was even better. Barbie. Ron, <laughs> Ron, when he told the story to me, he called him Barbie. I, yeah, fabulous.
0: I think there's only one less obvious uh, drag uh, feature ever in wrestling, and that has to be Bertha von Raschke, <laughs> who, who walked around with a with a with a, what do you call it? one of those bug sprayers like Rick Martel used to have. Oh yes, an atomizer,
1: right?
0: Atomizer. There you go, Bertha von Raschke. I, I I have a I can't find it. I have a they did at least one pin up style promo shot of uh, Bertha von Rashke, which uh, is a great treasure. I remember seeing I've said this before, I remember seeing a picture of um, of Baron von Rashke uh, wearing, you know, a ring outfit and a cape, which unfortunately had a swastika on the on the arm, you know? Right. And it was and it was in a wrestling magazine and it says wrestlers pin up Baron von Rashke. You should tear that out and put it up on your wall. <laughs> I'm saying guy or girl, if you walk up to somebody, it, you go into their room and you see that they've got uh, swastika von
1: Raschke as a pinup uh, run. <laughs> Only in wrestling. It's just amazing to me where some of these things, it's like, if you're just inside that wrestling world, you don't yeah. sometimes realize how insane some things like that are like, yeah, just the thought of, hey, let's take this guy and he's got a, you know, dressed up as a Nazi and we'll make a poster out of it. Eh, no one's going to mind. Like I remember, and this isn't offensive or anything, but it, it it's another kind of one of these ridiculous things. And it made me think of it because it was another pullout poster. It was in an old, um, it might have been Pro Wrestling Illustrated or one of them. And it had a big fold-out poster of Mr. Wrestling 2. And the best thing, which in and of itself is fine, but the best thing was the title of it, the headline of it. It said, Mr. Wrestling 2, the one and only. <laughs> <I> <laughs> that is it. that is my wife's favorite poster ever because I showed it to her in my collection because she was a yeah. big... She she she's one of those people who when I watch wrestling with her, you know, she doesn't have the same attachment to it that I do. So she'll point out the ludicrousness of it and things. And she's just fascinated because she doesn't know the whole history. Oh, there was a tag team and there was another Mr. Yeah. Wrestling. And she doesn't know that she's just watching Mid-South with me. And God bless her soul. And she's going, I don't understand. Where's Mr. Wrestling one? How, how is there yeah. just a Mr. Wrestling Two, because they would just throw him out there, and with no explanation, and you just had to know the backstory of why he's called Mister Wrestling Two, right? And the and the poster really just hammered it home. Where she was just going, I don't. I guess they don't understand the. Uh, they don't see the contradiction in terms there, do they? No, Mister Wrestling Two, the yeah. one and only. A
0: couple of years ago, um, somebody pointed out. I just thought this was so funny. It gives you an idea of the, of the weirdness of my collection. I'm not much of a collector, but I, I always say that strange items related to wrestling or music, uh, they collect me more. more than, <laughs> they come to me more than I go out seeking them. But Cracker Barrel or somebody got the rights to do a compilation CD of Beach Boys. You know, so they did a cheapo CD to sell at Cracker Barrels or something. I think it was Cracker Barrel. And it's like, yeah, Beach Boys, America's Best. And I've got a picture of the Beach Boys on the cover. And, you know, eight or ten songs you can imagine. Very, very common Beach Boys classics, you know. And it was sold for cheap. But somebody points out and said, look at the picture on the cover. It's not the Beach Boys. It's the actor. It's a promo shot from the television movie about the beach boys and it's a shot of the actors who played the beach boys in that tv movie and they of all the photos of the beach boys in the world they picked a false picture of non-beach boys slapped it on the cover and started selling it you know <laughs> that that i gotta have <laughs> wow
1: that is and surprising astonishing and, and yeah. sur-
0: Surprisingly very cheap. <laughs> I did not pay a lot to get that off off eBay. I'm and now it was
1: licensed. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. To look at it and laugh, it was worth, you know, the
1: five dollars or
0: whatever I paid for it. You know. I, I got uh, my
1: hands uh well, I got my hands on a bootleg collection. I I don't know if it was bootleg, I think it might have been UK or something, a collection of of Laurel and Hardy, you know, basically all of their shorts on in, on one wow. giant box set that I found on eBay and lo yeah. and behold on the uh, when you when you take the discs out of the sleeves you know on the disc you know they have kind of screen printed on there they have laurel and hardy what are clearly laurel and hardy impersonators <laughs> 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 whoever put this together could not tell the difference now the the shorts were the real shorts but on the discs it was People playing Laurel and Hardy, so very wow, common thing I guess that happens. Wow, really? So, no legit shorts at all? No, no, no. The shorts were real. It was, it was, it was actually Laurel and Hardy. It was the real deal, but on the packaging, it was oh, okay, impersonators. (laughs) So clearly, just somebody just didn't realize that it wasn't them. Uh. Ah, strange, funny. But one thing I yep. want to say about the because um, we're talking so much about conventions and meeting these people in person, which, you know, for me, it was when I first started doing it a- as a very young person. It was, you know, kind of like this this eye opening experience, but it, not just even wrestling. Like I said, I've met I've met a lot of wrestlers this way and I've met a lot of celebrities or, you know, however we can use that term, maybe a lowercase C. I don't know. That's some of these. Yeah. Uh, Shows like Chiller Theater was a big one for me in New Jersey. That was, you know, in the days even before Comic-Con had become so huge. It was one of the major ones. It's still really cool. But I I feel like, and maybe, I don't know if you could, if this follows your experience at all, but I feel like over the years it's gotten, it's definitely gotten much more uh, with the stress on the bottom line. I I think um, when I used to go, say 20, 25 years ago, these things, it was much looser. Like you could just feel like you could have a conversation with people without feeling like they were immediately going to try to sell you something. I remember there were a lot of people who you, they would, you know, they were selling gimmicks and items and things, but if you wanted to just snap a photo with them, they weren't going to charge you. They, you know, if you wanted to buy one of their photos, that was different, but just to take a picture. I mean, I have pictures I took, I have autographs and things. I have a a box of um, a box set of Dawn of the Dead that I got Tom Savini to sign. And and Tom Savini actually does have a reputation for being one of the pricklier ones at these things. And he he signed it. No problem. Didn't ask me for a penny. I didn't even realize that he was charging for things like that. He just did it. And I feel like yeah. over the years it's gotten a little more like uh, this is a business and we're here to conduct business and a little less fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You could be nice while conducting business. That, so that's, I think that that makes a big difference. <laughs> you, know, you should at least be pleasant, you know, uh, for, the, for the minute or two that that encounter is, is, is going to take. And some people just are tired or beyond that or, I don't know what, you know, uh and I'm not not like and I I have no real I'm more like I would go to the Comic-Con just to walk around and see all the bizarre characters, you know, and meeting somebody or other whether it's a wrestler or not um is a bonus, you know. And I'm not you know, I'm not going to pay what Hulk Hogan wants I know interest in and that's not not to say that it's not worth it, you know. But charges a fortune, and it's it's a couple of seconds. And why why would I? You know, I don't really want it. I'm cheap too.
1: <laughs> oh no, I, I am too. I and and I also am old enough to have, and I'm sure you right. are too, to have a sense and a memory of when things were not like that. So it makes it even more ridiculous when you look at somebody and they go, Yeah, yeah, I'll take a picture with you for thirty dollars. And you're going, What? Right. You know, I, I even remember yeah. the days when. People wouldn't even gen some some people wouldn't even charge for an autograph at some of these things. And and yeah. I think it's when it got to the point where there became much more of an awareness yeah. of how much people would be willing to pay for things. And then people started seeing it as a revenue stream rather than just, oh, it's this fun thing I'm gonna do, and maybe I'll make a couple yeah. of bucks. Like I remember going to an autograph, a baseball show, a baseball card show with my grandfather. Okay. So I was really little. And this was probably like sometime in the 80s, early 80s, maybe. And my grandfather took me to this thing. And, you know, Reggie Jackson was there. And Reggie Jackson's father was with him who had played in the Negro Leagues. Wow. And they had some of the at the time, the New York Mets, you know, they were on top of the world. And a couple of the Mets were there, Ron Darling, Keith Hernandez. And I remember my grandfather just even being shocked at the idea that people were charging for autographs, period.
0: Because I remember him
1: saying to me, you know, I I met I met Babe Ruth, you know, when I was a kid and he was signing autographs for people for nothing. Babe Ruth. I met Joe DiMaggio and what Joe DiMaggio used to do. But he would say Joe DiMaggio would not charge for an autograph. But Joe DiMaggio would maybe sometimes pay for things with autographs. You know, he'd be like, here's a signed picture, (laughs) a signed ball because he knew how much it was worth. But he would say to me, you know, because he came from that era where. The attitude was, and this is not, you know, this was real. The attitude was I'm honored that anybody would even want my autograph, that anybody would even want me to sign something is an honor and a humbling experience. And it went from that to, yeah, buddy, I I need 20 bucks for me to sign that for you. You know, there's a certain, there's a very big shift that happened.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. And thankfully I was not, no longer interested in meeting people and getting and and paying for autographs and it, it, that still doesn't interest me unless i have an object of something of theirs you know and like I, i got bobby heenan to sign both of his books uh two two times that i've met him and he didn't charge me anything to sign them and i had a you know fun brief conversations when he could still talk very well you know uh, fairly well and uh yeah, uh, I would have, you know, I would have you know, I, I paid him to, you know, to 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 sign that, but it was much better the you know the other way, and sometimes people don't realize that there's casual situations where you can meet these these people, and they won't necessarily charge, you know, if you go to a thing that's a comic book convention and right. they've got a rent table space, you know, at um, yes, yes, it's going to cost money, you know. And like I said about uh, said about Virgil, got no interest in meeting him or getting any of his merch. But if you're going to sit there and bend his ear at an indie show, then buy a picture. You know, buy a t-shirt for God's sake. Oh, absolutely! You know? Yeah, um,
1: we, we've all seen that at some of these things. The the person that just doesn't know when to quit. You know, the person yeah, that just a- looks at it as this is a, a personal one-on-one conversation between me and this yeah. person and there's no one else here. You know, that, that kind of yeah. level of, of lack of self-awareness and you think, okay, I, I think your time's up. Uh, let's keep it moving. Yeah. And at these conventions and I haven't been to a lot,
0: but at these conventions, there's two types of fans, fans with unlimited money and extremely cheap, <laughs> <laughs> it blows my mind that you that you that you know it must go into the hundreds and hundreds to get pictures and autographs from these people at, at, at shows now well i i went and this was quite a few years ago now seven eight years ago i went to the new york comic con and it was amazing walking around there and things like that and but i saw lots of people unannounced had their own booth, you know, or were part of some comic dealer's booth, you know, like you turn your corner and, oh, there's Honky Tonk Man. Now here's uh, Sergeant Slaughter and Ted DiBiase at a booth, you know. It was all very surprising, you know, JBL and different people like that. But then they had a separate area for real high ticket people like Hulk Hogan and William Shatner and things like that. And they were so far away, you couldn't even get near them without getting in their line and paying, you know, and right. if you wanted a picture and that was just a sign. And if you wanted a picture and I didn't, you know, I didn't want any of it, you know, <laughs> I walked out there without it, but I was and if you wanted a, a photo, some of those high ticket guys, they had uh secret booths, you know, where you, you go in and stand in this booth and Hulk Hogan will come in or, or he'll be in there. You'll get your professional picture taken. You'll get to say a few words, and then off you go. Um, you know, very impersonal. And it, the signing has to take place separately in a separate line. You know, and these lines were so long you couldn't even see who was at the front of them. But um, like I said, uh, the high ticket people, of course, were Hulk Hogan, William Shatner, who I'm told is absolutely miserable at these things. Yes. uh it doesn't even look up. You know, and uh, and uh, and. Uh, stan lee was still alive at the time um, you know i can understand that and they were the most expensive you know but the longest lines i saw for different people who were way way much less and i'll guarantee you much more personable and fun to meet were for tom kenny the voice of spongebob squarepants and bill nye the science guy and i went oh i'm glad <laughs> I'm glad to see that. And I know Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny is the nicest person in show business. And he would prefer to not even charge for a picture or, or, or an autograph or something. But sometimes he, he has to. You
1: know? Yeah, he's great. But, uh, uh, my kids love him. I, I also love him as the Ice King on Adventure Time. That's sort of like another. Uh, he's, he's had a second renaissance in TV animation yeah. on that show, too. He's great. But
0: but I've seen him plenty of places dealing with fans, the public, friends, or whatever like this, and he is a sweetheart. And especially for kids, he'll do the voices, you know, uh, you know, and it's it's a wonderful experience to meet that guy. It's even better being a friend of his. But but I, uh,
1: but he, rep- like I
0: said, I I always tell him I've never met Tom Hanks, but as far as I'm concerned, you're you're number one nice guy uh, and <laughs>
1: and. Show- you know the the SpongeBob the SpongeBob thing reminds me and and Chiller Theater too, and I I have one story I have to tell. It's not wrestling related, as a lot of what we talked That's- about isn't. But who cares? But 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 before we finish, I I just had a this just popped into my head because you're talking about um, you know in everybody loves his work in SpongeBob. I mean, it's iconic. And I I was at Chiller one year with my kids, and they were little at the time, my older kids, and. And they had, and I think his health was failing at the time. He was, he didn't, he passed away not long after, but Ernest Borgnine came yeah. to Chiller Theater. Yeah. He was not well, you know, he had handlers and things and you could tell he really needed help and he probably needed money and, you know, for health expenses or God knows what. And we got up to him. I I, I did go to meet him. I'm a big fan of his and I love you know Marty and and from here to eternity and Poseidon Adventure and just all these amazing films that he's been in and we get up to him in the line and my kids are there with me and I go to him because my kids are there and I'm trying to keep them in, engaged and I go Mr. Borgnine my kids and I love you as Mermaid Man in SpongeBob SquarePants oh <laughs> and and right. he he lit up. He absolutely lit up. And like I said, you could tell he wasn't uh, totally there, unfortunately anymore, but, but he talked a little bit about it and, and, and doing it. And Tim Conway was, you know, um, um, his sidekick, a barnacle boy and how, you know, because they were in McHale's Navy together. So they, they paired them up for this. And it was just this very unlikely kind of moment and experience. I didn't pay it. I didn't have to pay anything, but just an experience that you can have with, with people like that uh, sometimes is very surreal at some of these things.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I I probably, our friend, Dan Farron, he and his wife, Mary live out in California and they go to the Hollywood collectors convention every year. And you know, even some of the people that, that they get their picture with that they meet, I've never even heard of. You know, And first, uh, uh, whether it's a wrestler or an obscure person from television or, or movies or, or what have you, I, voice actors like Tom uh, do really well at these signings, which kind of blows my mind, you know, but their fans really line up. But it says any of these people, no matter how obscure the name, they said it's just like money falling into your lap. They said they walk out of these things with hefty bags full of twenty dollar bills. You know. <laughs> right,
1: right. So at, that it, it's at, it's a whole uh, cottage industry.
0: Yeah, yeah. But uh, but I always look forward to seeing Dan and Mary's pictures. Uh, one time, it wasn't even my favorite show, but one time they had at least five or six of the old cast members from Good Times. So Dan, Mary, uh, you know, JJ, Walona, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all these people, except for Florida and James Senior, you know, yes, uh, the Johnny Brown who played the the, the Mister Bookman, you know, it's just it was- wonderful, you know. I, and some and that's hard to get some of those casts together these days. But that's a big thing if you can get a cast photo like Back to the Future that has like all the all the major stars in it, you know. Yeah, those um, are
1: great. They had a Willy Wonka reunion at one of the ones I went oh. to. and they, they had all the Wonka kids, you know, fully grown. Yeah. And and uh, yeah. I, I don't believe I think Gene Wilder may have already passed at the time or he was sick. He wasn't there, but it was basically the kids. You know, it was the Wonka kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I at the New York comic convention that I was telling you about, I paid for one uh, meeting photo op with the. Uh, Paris Seaman, the kid that played Mike TV, uh, oh yes, yes, <laughs> and, yes, yes, and yes. Willie Wonka, and he and he was super, you know. And for like it was a pay one price thing, he gave me a a photo, you know, a photo op, uh, an eight by ten, and a golden ticket.
1: I have
0: a, <laughs> <laughs> I have a Wonka, Wonka golden ticket. And who was sharing the ver- the uh, the booth with him? I didn't get a picture with. Was uh, he had a very. uh. I'm trying to think of his last name. It P or something. He was a kid that played Charlie Brown, the voice oh, of Charlie yes. Brown, in, yes, in the early. And he had a very unfortunate. I know. Uh, adult life and a ba- and a sad ending and things like that.
1: He did. And yes,
0: as a he was a grown man, but wearing a T-shirt that looked like the old Charlie Brown shirt. You know, <laughs> and uh, that is sometimes weird at those conventions when a given wrestler, uh, wears their old costume? wears their old gear? You know? Yes. But, that'll happen. Know. Right. Yeah. Nikolai Volkov always in the, always in the gear. And he was sweet, but you know, like now I never have liked sting very much. <laughs> and I, you know, that I, I was just too, too old to get into him, you know? But, uh, when I see him at these things, all dressed up in his outfit and his face paint and all that, I go, Oh, come on. (laughs) when is is enough enough but that's his job
1: now (laughs) no i i know exactly right that that is (laughs) it it becomes part of the job and actually one of the nicest people i've met at these who doesn't who never cops an attitude and is always sweet and kind is hacksaw jim duggan and i've had my kids with me at others and he is so nice to them i remember one time my kids were with me and we're walking by and he actually called my kids over to the table, you know, not knowing who they were, but yeah. not knowing us. But he called the kids over and just started just started talking to them just for just just to talk. And I went yeah. over and, you know, just a sweet, sweet man.
0: What he's what Lanny Popo used to talk about. You can be on the on the sad bus or you can be on the happy bus. And Jim Duggan is is on the happy bus. You know, he, yeah. he definitely is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw him do a and A once, and it was very, it was really fun.
1: Yeah, and well, I'm, this this interview has put me on the happy bus, Scott. But um, of course, I, I can't believe that our time has flown by, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm very I, <laughs> thanks. I'm very draconian about timekeeping on uh, uh, this show, as a lot of people know. But um, but I, I this this is exactly the kind of conversations I love to have on the show just like like we were saying before we started it's basically a phone call that we just happen to be recording you know
0: yep no
1: problem so I I, I appreciate it and like I said to you before if I not if but when and once I start really having people (laughs) back what are you laughing at no no I know I like I said, you you were kind of say that
0: I was on your list. I know I wasn't on your short list, <laughs> but God God willing, your show will run for several more years and I'll be back sometime.
1: Well, I don't plan on well, stopping then. anytime soon. I I, uh, ah. I haven't missed a week and I'm going to keep on keeping on. But I mean, what, I'm starting to slowly have some repeat guests and things, uh, ah. but I, I definitely want... To have you back once that starts happening we didn't even get to talk about the 605 so there's definitely a lot of stuff remaining to be discussed that we'll get to yeah that's right
0: imagine all those people that were hanging in for all that brian last dirt that i've been sitting on they're out there (laughs) they're
1: they're out there people want the real truth (laughs) i know (laughs) there you have it folks my conversation with scott Cornish. I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, a little bit different. We kind of just allowed the conversation to go wherever we wanted, and that is the way I like it here on Shut Up and Wrestle. So thank you, Scott, for going with the flow. And thank you for giving us even just a tiny little bit of the not Boogie Woogie Man impression I know we all enjoy so much. And I hope you enjoy this show so much and that you keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle next week on the show for episode 87. I'm going to be bringing on another colleague from my WWE magazine days, former WWF magazine writer, Robert Bledsoe, who has some interesting stories about his brief but memorable time in the tower. And he will be here next week on Shut Up and Wrestle. Lots of other guests in the works coming down the pike for this show. I want to mention Slam Wrestling's Jamie Hemmings, who's also a future guest, that you can look for, many others I'm working on bringing to you, the fine listeners of Shut Up and Wrestle. And where can you find this show? Well, you're listening to it right now, so you obviously found it. But if you want to subscribe, if you want to check it out on a regular basis, our website is suawpod.com. You can also find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Etc., etc., and so forth. Also, check out the Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. We'd love to have you there. It's where all the cool kids are. So come and join us. Some of the other projects that I work on the wrestling news from Arcadian Vanguard. Every morning, we give you all you need to know about the world of pro wrestling. Find it at thewrestlingnews.com, find it on the Arcadian Vanguard's YouTube page. You will not regret it. The books that I write Blood and Fire, The Unbelievable Real Life Story of Wrestling's Original Sheik, and Superheroes, The History of a Pop Culture Phenomenon from Ant Man to Zorro, available on Amazon in print, digital, and audio format, especially. I know those three apply to the Sheik book. I believe the Superheroes book is only available in print and digital. I also have signed copies for those that are interested in one. Please do reach out to me you can get me on email at brianrsolomon at yahoo.com. The magazines that I write for, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. You can get it at pwi-online.com, as well as Inside the Ropes magazine, which you could get at insidetheropesmagazine.com. If you're looking for me on social media, you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram at brianrsolomon.com. On Facebook, my author page is Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and saying, I can't give you anything but love, baby. So long, You're wrestling fans! fans. I